Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Throughout this Advent season, we are asking ourselves the question, who's coming for Christmas? You know, Advent literally means arrival. And as a season, Advent, you probably are aware of the four weekends leading up to Christmas where we intentionally seek the Lord. Well, we prepare for his arrival in a way that hopefully allows it not just to be the same thing year over year, but to be open to the new thing that God wants to do in our lives this year. Last week, Pastor Christian kicked off our sermon series looking at the classic Advent story, actually, of John the Baptist who's the one, the voice, the prophet calling in the wilderness, telling the people, prepare the way for the Lord, specifically to prepare through repentance. Turn away from the patterns of behavior and the beliefs that aren't really working and turn back to the way of the Lord. And we too want to prepare ourselves and be open with the expectation that we're going to encounter Jesus this Christmas season, and specifically as the prophet, the priest, and the king. And so we're going to look at each of those over the next three weeks. And so as we begin today, you've probably heard the phrase, ignorance is bliss, haven't you? Have you lived that truth of that phrase? (laughs) You know, like... Perhaps that deli meat that you ate that you found out after the fact was significantly expired, but it tasted okay and didn't turn out too bad in the end. Ignorance was bliss, wasn't it? Or the red light that I ran last week, totally, truly unaware, really, of what was happening until I had blown through the intersection, and thankfully, there was no one around. Ignorance in that moment was bliss. But what about the other times in our lives? What about when the pipe's leaking behind the wall? Is ignorance still bliss? I think if we're honest, we are all a lot more ignorant than we would like to admit. And I don't mean that pejoratively as if to say you lack intelligence, because sometimes that's what people think ignorance means. No, I'm talking about the true nature of the word, that there's all sorts of things that we just don't know. But we've gotten really good at convincing ourselves that we know a lot more than we actually do. Yeah, I was reading an article this week that someone was citing the internet as part of this phenomenon because if you think about it, you could throw out any topic right now and I could ask Siri or I could Google that topic and immediately be given at least some information. But the problem is we become overconfident of how much we actually know when we get a little bit of information. That's why I am now a doctor, because of WebMD. (laughs) But in reality, we are all more ignorant than we'd like to admit or recognize. So what do we do with our ignorance? We're going to jump into that question today through Luke chapter 10, and I'll invite you to follow along on the screen as we listen for God's Word speaking to us 
this morning. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and to those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray as we move into this word together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word, that we could receive it this morning. We could respond to your leading. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage, Jesus is talking with his disciples And he's telling them how the prophets over all of the generations long to see the things that they're seeing and hear the things that they're hearing. And really that they were seeing and experiencing the presence and life of Jesus himself. His ministry, his work, and even right before we just read, they were invited to participate in it, bringing healing proclaiming the truth, participating in Jesus' redemption and his kingdom coming on earth. It was an amazing thing. And Jesus was saying, you have no idea how blessed you really are. Because, man, the prophets longed for this. See, the prophets over the years were the mouthpiece of God. He would speak to them, and then they would tell the people what God had to say. And so they were the ones proclaiming the truth of God's plan, of his will, of his purpose for his people, and for the whole of the world. They were the truth tellers. Sometimes they were telling the future. Sometimes they were telling about a possible future based on the decision that the people would make, how they would choose to live. Because when the prophets would proclaim the truth, the truth would make a demand on the people, calling them to respond, a claim on their lives, because they could no longer claim ignorance about God's plan or his purposes. They could no longer say, you know what, I didn't know I'm not allowed to drive 90 through this neighborhood. Once you know... It demands a response. Truth makes a claim on our lives and demands that we respond. It's part of why, well, we don't always like the truth because the truth can be terribly inconvenient. (laughs) And when we face truth that's inconvenient, we are so tempted and actually are really good at kind of mm, twisting the way we look at it, reinterpreting it in such a way that it becomes a little bit more palatable for us because truth makes a demand and we have to choose how we're going to respond. And sometimes it doesn't go well for us. And so the prophets would proclaim the truth of God. They'd make a demand on the people and their demand always involved faithfulness to God. They were always calling the people back from their way to his way, their purposes to his purposes, their desire to his desire and his plan. And so the prophets were constantly proclaiming, hey, the way you're living isn't working. 
You're doing your own thing. But it's not God's plan for you. It's not going to work out in the end. And the prophets were longing to see what the disciples were seeing because all along the way, God was giving them little glimpses of what he was going to do in the future when his Messiah would come. Depending on how you count it, there are hundreds of prophecies throughout the Old Testament of the coming Messiah where the prophets got each a little bit, a little piece of God's ultimate plan. For instance, Micah had it revealed to him that the Savior, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah was told that he would be born of a virgin, that he would come from the family line of Jesse, that he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah was also shown that he would be silent before his accusers, that he would be crucified brutally between two thieves, and that he would be the light to the nations. Throughout the Psalms, they were given prophetic glimpses of what God was going to do as the Messiah. In one place, the psalmist found and was revealed to them that he would be the Son of God. In another place, he would be the teacher of parables. In another place, that he would be the ultimate king. Another, that he would be mocked. Another, that he would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. Another, that he would rise from the dead. Another, that he would ascend into heaven. In the passage that we read earlier, Moses, who was considered really the ultimate prophet of Israel, was told this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. Listen to him. The Messiah was going to be a prophet. Jesus is a prophet. He's not just savior. He's not just friend. He's not just the son of God. He's a prophet. You must listen to him. And see, the prophets throughout the ages longed to see the day where the Messiah would be revealed and the disciples were witnessing it right before their eyes. And Moses had said to the people way back then, listen to him. You need to listen to him. And, and there's lots of people who love to listen to Jesus. There always have been. Jesus would travel around teaching and crowds would gather around him and be in awe and wonder. And then he would say something that was a little harder to swallow. And the crowds would scatter. And then he'd do something miraculous again, and the crowds would gather with eagerness and excitement. And then he'd proclaim a truth that was inconvenient, was hard to accept, and once again, the, the people would run. And, and today, there's lots of people that love to listen to Jesus. They revere him as a great teacher. They'll study what he says. They'll debate the significance of what he says. There's lots of people that love to take his quotes about love and blessing and put them on posters and pictures and post them on houses and pieces of furniture. Love to listen to Jesus until he drops one of those inconvenient truths. Forgive those who have hurt you. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it wasn't just Moses that said, listen to him. The Father himself said, listen to him. There's this moment called the, the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus is up on top of a mountaintop, and he's gathered there with a couple of old-time old -time prophets. And the voice of the Father comes from heaven, and a few of the disciples hear it, and, he's, and the Father says, this is my beloved Son. Listen to him. 
And Moses kind of ratchets it up for the people when he says, hey, you don't just listen to him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, this is God, right, speaking through Moses, then I myself will call him to account. What does it look like? What does it look like for God to call us to account for not listening truly to the prophet Jesus? Peter actually answers that question, the Apostle Peter, for us in what we heard read for the Advent candle reading this morning from Acts chapter 3, where he says, anyone who does not listen to him will be be completely cut off from among his, his people, be cut off from a relationship with God because we refuse to accept the truth that God has revealed to us through the prophet Jesus. I I want to acknowledge, this is hard stuff. It's hard because the consequences are real. It's hard also because these are absolute truth claims. There's no wiggle room here. It's an either-or proposition. You either do or you do not listen to Jesus. Because he's not just a prophet. He's the prophet He's the ultimate prophet. He's the final revealer of the final word from God because he is, as John says at the beginning of his gospel, he's not just telling the word of God. He is the word of God in the flesh. Come to show us, teach us, reveal to us. He is the source of truth and knowledge and life itself. And so to ignore what he says has devastating consequences. And I know this rubs against a lot of the claims that are, are, are throughout our Western society. It rubs against what schools and pop culture are propagating among our young people, the idea that there is no absolute truth. We can't know absolute truth, and we can't know truth absolutely. Truth claims, it's said, are just people's interpretations of their experience often as attempts to grab control and power. And because of that, <laughs> then there are, because there are no absolutes, then we do not have to respond to the demands that these so-called truth claims make on our lives. And, and yet, if we pause and we really think about that, this is not how we really live our lives day in and day out. We all live based on absolute truth claims. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we live based on absolute truth claims all the time. We certainly know this physically because I am going to go out on a limb here and say that everyone here is living by the absolute truth claim that we cannot breathe water. Just going to go out on that limb. And, And that, you know, every time that goes down the wrong pipe and our body reminds us, we probably remember that that truth and we respond to it again. And you might say, yeah, well, that's science. (laughs) You know, of course, that's firm. That's sturdy. We can know that. But we can't really know when you're talking about things of morality and ethics and spirituality. Things get a lot more fuzzy there. We We can't listen for absolute truth claims in that realm. And yet I think most of us, most of us still do. Most of us still live even if you're not a follower of Jesus, based on absolute truth claims in morality and ethics. 
When we see or we experience something in our lives that causes this thing to rise up within us and say, that's wrong, we're starting to stand pretty close to an absolute truth claim, especially if we expect our sense of what's wrong to impact and influence the life of other people around us. Because our sense of what is true is making a demand on someone else. That sounds pretty absolute. Even if all we're willing to say is that there is a right or wrong because of that thing that rises within us, we're starting to acknowledge that there are absolute truth claims. When we collectively say, you know what, it's wrong for us to kill a certain kind of people, well, based on what? Well, you can't hate people. Well, why not? We're appealing to an absolute when we make a statement like that. And when we impose something like that across a society, we are willing to stake a society on an absolute truth claim because there is a moral compass that we have this sense lives within us as humans that points to an absolute that is outside of us. But figuring out what that truth is Which truths to base our lives on, that's the hard part. Especially because of our ability to deceive ourselves. Because of our incredible raging self-interest. And the reality of sin that lives within us. Because what if we're ignorant? What if we actually are too ignorant to really navigate the kinds of choices that face us individually and collectively as a society? What if we lack the insight, the knowledge, the perspective, the understanding of the long-term implications and consequences of the decisions that we make to determine which truth to stand on, what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, what will truly make us happy, what is actually deeply satisfying? What if we're ignorant? And we're still claiming to have knowledge that doesn't really last. You know, we live in, in this instant gratification society where this kind of worldview is do what makes you happy in the moment. It's almost just stamping and endorsing. Just embrace your ignorance. Yeah, you have no idea what the, the long-term you know, consequences of this path and this set of decisions will be, but don't worry about it. Throw caution to the wind. Long-term doesn't matter. All that matters is that you're happy today. And yet, if we are more ignorant than we would like to admit, then perhaps this, this will lead us to long-term pain. Because having the perspective of all of these moving parts of our own lives is above my pay grade. You know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty handy, you know, for just a, a normal guy around the house. I've done most, most every project, plumbing and electrical and siding and decks and drywall and all these different things. But when it comes to a car and I open the hood, I look in there and I'm like, hey, that's an engine. See that there? That's where your windshield wiper fluid goes. And that's about where it ends. Right, when my check engine light comes on, I don't just go in there and say, all right, well, what feels like the right thing to do? All right, I'm just going to pop this thing open. No, I, I have no idea what's going to happen. 
I have no idea if I move this hose, unscrew that, if I do this, what is going to ultimately happen. And so I seek out someone who actually has a clue. Right? When we're ignorant about something, don't we often seek the insight from someone who knows? Like I go to a mechanic. You know? No, I don't play doctor because I've read WebMD. Right? Go find a doctor. A doctor doctor. And when that doctor proves ignorant, what do you do? You go find another doctor that's not. Right? I tried to represent myself fighting a parking ticket one time. I don't represent myself anymore. <laughs> right? We seek out people who have knowledge and insight and wisdom rather than embracing our ignorance, throwing caution to the wind and said, you know what? I'm going to do it myself. No. Because we know that there is some truth that we may not have a full grasp on. And so Jesus, being the ultimate prophet, is the revealer of ultimate truth for our lives. And so we can seek out his wisdom. And, and you know, often we can hear this and there's been so much that feels like the, the threat of consequences. But Jesus also frames this with the promise of blessing. At the end of his great sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus uses this parable. He tells this story to make this point. He says that everyone who hears my words and puts them into practice is like a man who builds his house on a rock. In other words, on a firm foundation. Because when the storm comes and the rain comes and the wind blows, that house is going to stand strong because it has a firm foundation. But everyone who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who builds his house on the sand and yeah, it might be convenient and it might be easy, but when the storm comes and the rain comes down and the winds blow, the house will come crashing down because the foundation isn't firm. Jesus is, is making that story for us to think about. If we continue to just build our lives on whatever we feel is convenient or we want to do in any moment, rather than embracing the principles and the truth that he reveals, then our lives come crashing in when the storm comes. And the storm comes. That part is inevitable. But he's inviting us to build our lives on an unshakable foundation. That's what he's promising as his blessing for us. And it's not just about principles. Jesus doesn't come just to reveal principles for living our day-to-day -day life. In our passage today, he also says that he becomes not just to reveal the truth in general, but also to reveal the Father. He said, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. Yeah, you think you know, but your ignorance is showing. You think you know what to expect when Jesus shows up in your life, but your ignorance is showing only the Father really knows. And, and no one knows, he, he keeps going, who the Father is except the Son. You think you know what God is all about, but your ignorance is showing. You think you know his plan, his mind, his purposes, but your ignorance is showing. Only the Son truly knows that. Oh yeah, and then he adds this incredible thing, and those to whom he choose, the Son chooses to reveal him. Right? We don't know the Father because we somehow perfectly follow the truth that's been revealed to us. We know the Father only when He is revealed to us by the prophet, by the Son. And there's a great irony over this entire passage. 
Because Jesus, at the very beginning, said this as he's praying in front of, the, of his disciples. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. In other words, I think Jesus might be saying, you know what? Ignorance is bliss. Because the wise and the learned haven't had the truth revealed to them, haven't had the Father revealed to them. Because the problem with the wise and the learned is that they think they already have it all figured out. And they're not very open to what is going to be revealed to them that they didn't really understand. In other words, they're embracing their ignorance in a way that's not very helpful. They think they know, but they don't really know. I don't know about you, but when I'm pretty sure I know something, I'm not really that open to your opinion. Even if it's good. And when the wise and the learned, when we approach Jesus with this same mentality that, you know what, Jesus, I've got this thing figured out. You know what, I know how to deal with my own life. I know the path that's best for me. I know how to define me. I know how to pursue what's going to be good for me, what's going to make me ultimately happy. You know what, Jesus, I got this. Then we're embracing the ignorance of the wise and the learned rather than the ignorance of the children. See, the children aren't hampered by what they know. They're really comfortable not knowing, but then they rejoice when they learn something, don't they? Children learning is a beautiful thing because as they learn something new, as they embrace a new truth, as they put it into practice, there's delight and there's joy and there's awe and there's wonder. And Jesus is saying, with that, if you have that perspective, that openness to what I'm going to reveal, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to teach you, then you too will have the rejoicing of the awe and wonder of the truth in your life. But see, children are also really open to absolutes. They don't, they don't care nearly as much. They're not pushing against that reality. But they'll receive truth, they'll receive teaching, especially from those they trust, won't they? And I think that's the other lesson to pull out of here for us, is that Jesus, yes, comes as the prophet, but not just speaking the words of truth. He says in John, I am the truth, personified. Truth is not just something to be grasped as a list of ideals and principles to check off and say, yes, I agree. Yes, that's true. Yes, I agree. Truth is a person to be known, to be experienced, and to be trusted, to build our life upon. The true prophet who reveals to us the truth of God, which makes demands on our lives to respond, but also reveals to us the Father, that we can know him and be in relationship with him. And so this Christmas, I want to encourage you to embrace your ignorance, that you don't really know as much as you think you know, and to invite the prophet to come for Christmas the prophet Jesus, to reveal to you what is true, that you can build your life, define who you are, find your identity, put your confidence in him who will also reveal to you the Father. The prophet reveals the truth of God for our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this hard and kind of even heady truth. May we not get caught up in the, the brain of it all and the thinking of it all, but may we approach you, Jesus, 
as the person of truth. Not to be understood and to be pinned down, but to be experienced, to be known, and to be trusted. Jesus, will you reveal to us the truth for our everyday lives? Will you reveal to us the Father? Will you alleviate us from the burden of trying to define for ourselves what life should be all about? May we rejoice in that freedom of knowing you, the true and ultimate prophet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.